0: To...
1: D20 Radio, your gamer's role.
0: WWW.D20Radio.com. For of the day Heresy must be met with hatred. I'm welcome on episode 103 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you are joining us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium. We cover the gaming systems created by Ulysses North America. Before we get into today's show, it has been quite a while since our last show, about a month. So what have you been up to, Mike? Not just gaming, but life in general, what's been going on?
2: Work, work, work. Yeah? Yeah, nothing really exciting.
0: What are you really you about? Modelling? doing any, any painting on it? What, um, what are you working on?
2: I'm working on my Emperor's Children still. Um... Working out stuff, figuring out what I'm going to actually put together next.
0: You've got quite a bit of forge oil stuff as well, don't you? So, yeah. I really like just because so recently you gave me the the um, uh, extra armor kit for the rider, which is now out of production. Yep. And it, it's a real bugger trying to get that onto like getting the, the resin onto plastic. Like resin this. to stick to plastic, yeah. yeah.
2: The, the, the extension kits and the um, upgrade kits can be a real pain in the butt.
0: It's not just that. I mean, first off, like it takes forever the super glue to bind. Um, and secondly, a lot of the because the moulding isn't perfect. Like you know, Even a lot of the pieces line up to each other, yeah. and so if there was any sort of imperfection in the shaping or it was bent, whatever, it just, you know, the pieces were pushing each other off the model, oh. and they were only sort of held on by friction. Alone. I had to sort of sit there for 10 minutes literally holding pieces onto the plastic for it to actually grab and yeah. hold. So.
2: Yeah, and plus you have to wash all the pieces as well before you do anything, shave everything down, sand everything. You have to wear a mask while you do it all as well. Oh, I didn't. Probably, of course you do. <laughs>
0: probably gonna die now. <laughs> <laughs> and what else? So, so I mean, I I quit my job this, this month and I got a new job, but that was well, I got that sorry, let me rephrase that. I got a new job and quit my old job first. Uh so hopefully that will mean less overall travel, but still made you to get to some of the major shows in the US, hopefully. Yeah. Uh what else? I've um been participating in my local games workshops. Current forty k league, which is part of the Vigilous Defiant campaign. Yeah. So on last check, I was in fifth place out of about fifteen people. But the difference between me and like fourth place is significant. Like all, all the leaders are in like the forty point range, and I'm on like sixteen. But it's like you only uh, get okay. so you get one point for playing a game, an extra point for winning a game, and the rest of the points are all built around um, either uh, uh, buying or painting models. So you get points for buying. Start collecting kits, battle forces, uh, and for every fifty dollars you spend in store, you get a point as well. I think. Yeah. And then you get points for completing models too, like so for like for painting. So, uh, like I got big points for completing that Stormlord recently. Um, So I've only actually played three games so far. At two wins, one loss, Uh, but I got a lot of minutes painted as such. But apparently, the people that have got like the forty points are just obviously have no jobs or jobs where they can just sneak off and go and play 40k all day because they've been smashing out multiple games at the store it's currently yeah. the, i think this week they're going up to 1250 points and the store manager's a bit worried that the 4x4 tables he uses won't be big enough for a 1250 point game so okay yeah,
2: but, yeah it depends on the armies i suppose yeah, it's a bit if a it's time. 1250 points worth of termagants yeah you're gonna have some
0: trouble <laughs> that's it yeah well, that's, that's what i said to him just encourage people to use lords of war all the time you know just <laughs> night night heavy armies that's it uh, so what have we done month in the last month of gaming? Um, we did get one Battletech session in, and that was one of those sort of... We have these sessions occasionally where it's, I guess, designed to move the plot forward from the the in-game contract to the next in-game contract. So it was more sort of... Travel game. It was a travel game, that's right. <laughs> it's a travel montage. We did manage to get a single single encounter into the, the game, but it was a relatively short and easy one. That being said, though, I think the people, the players did actually enjoy... Yeah. That to you, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, we got our second stronghold knocked out in Battlestone Fortress. Yeah. Um, I ran my Scion game again for the first time in a while. I've actually run the Scion game since November, uh, yeah. and so that was good to get back into that one again. Uh, we got in two sessions of your Wrath and Glory game, yes, so yeah. which was good because I know you'd sort of planned to do one session is one sort two of mission. Thing, one mission, but this one actually went over two, yeah. The yeah. only, I mean, let's talk about the little drama there first off as well because. We had one of our players um, who is playing a Sister of Battle. And I can't remember if we really talked about this on the show before, but the, the base of the situation was, if we need to recap, that you had a different player who was interested in playing a Sister of Battle, who'd played a Sister of Battle in a previous campaign and quite liked that particular aesthetic. And this other person was going to make an assassin. Yeah. And then this other person, who is a very much a rules monkey, min-max character sort of player. Combat a- one, Back. Yeah, analysed the game and said, you know what? The benefit you get from having um, plus two strength for power armor with a Sister of Battle, it makes you a much stronger melee character than anything you can build with an assassin. So I'm going to go and make a Sister of Battle character. No interest in playing the aesthetic or that sort of stuff. It's more just about how do I get the most extreme set of stats, Uh, including, I'll point out, in a game where during the session zero, you basically said this is not going to be a combat-heavy game. This is more an investigation game. Repeatedly. Repeatedly, that's it. And so the first person in the is the battle was like, well, I don't want to be a duplicate, so I'll go and make something else and I'll make an assassin. Um, and so we got this character who is, you know, in the first session, I'll admit, so in the first session we played, which is before the last show, the player realised that it was actually more helpful to have some more skills. So to his credit, he did actually stop, rebuild part of the session and move some points over towards some more useful skills. But I think, has he got attributes at one still, like Fellowship one? Oh, yeah, yeah, Fellowship's
2: still one, okay, of yeah.
0: course. Yeah, to have more points for having initiative five, for example. Yeah, well I'd like to point out that his rebuild of the
2: character meant taking away a point from piloting and ballistic skill and putting it into scholar. Okay. And that, that was it. That was the that was extent of the rebuild. <laughs> okay. He certainly didn't touch his, his initiative five weapon skill five.
0: Okay. Because,
2: no you know,
1: killy.
0: <laughs> anyway, um, so then in the next session he ran, um, the job was that the group had to go undercover, basically. And, uh, you know, this was sort of before the game session we actually got together. It was uh, The briefing was given to us via email, so we knew what was to expect. And this player basically said, look, um, I, my, my character would not take off her armor. You know, like, I, I would not give up that plus two strength bonus. And as much as we try to say, look, you know, this is the of battle, are part of the Inquisition. And, you know, while it's unusual for these sort of things to happen, it's not, not unheard of. And that uh, basically... There, it's not going to be a combat thing anyway. Like if we get into combat, we've, we've gone wrong anyway. And it basically got to the point where you know where that player basically said, "I'm not going to make it along to tonight's session," um, yeah. and so we went ahead without them. The only kicker then was that we then had the situation where we didn't finish the session in one night. So when we came to the second session, it was still the same game. That character wasn't present, and the player said they would come along this time. So you had to quickly run a rush around and create an excuse to bring them in halfway
2: through an undercover investigation. Yeah, that's right, yeah, exactly. And it felt tacked on to me.
0: It, well, I mean, the main thing was I, I didn't have a problem with how the session developed storyline-wise to, to bring them in, and I think that we, the group managed to sort of deal with that relatively well and not have it disrupt the mission too much. The only thing I, I guess I observed was that it was, necess- it was necessary because of the way they were brought in to have, for the most part, that character separated from the rest of the characters so we could be doing things at the same time but not interacting. And uh, I guess it felt a bit like that character was sort of left alone for long periods of time of the game. Um, because we couldn't really talk to them easily, as such, and so anyway, um, that was the situation. But I think the game worked out. Everyone, the end, everyone survived, which is always a successful wrath and glory game. We did, we, did, did we actually have it? Yeah, we did a fight. Oh no, we didn't actually roll any stuff, did we? Because you, you guys managed to manipulate the fight, so other people did the fighting for you. That's right. Yeah. So uh, my, my character has managed to get through three sessions, two missions now, without firing a single shot. So yeah,
2: <laughs> all in all, a successful investigation career.
0: Yeah, actually, you know what? I've realised I have this tendency now in games to if somebody goes and makes some blatant statement about the game, like "Oh, you can only play the game this way," it's like I feel compelled to play the game the other way just to show them. You know, it's like our friend who says that wizard is the only good spell magic using class. Yeah, sorcerers in, are garbage. Yeah, so then I go and play a sorcerer and make sure I do it much more effectively than his wizard in a D D game. So maybe I'm just being a jerk. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's my style. All right, let's talk about today's show. Uh, we'll do our regular news section. Uh, as promised, we're going to talk about corruption and malignancy. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about the heretic as a uh, career. Uh, I've got a special guest for a review, which we'll come to in a little bit. And then the, the topic I'm going to do for the, it's more of a rules topic than a general system topic, but it's come up from a conversation I've had with a person online, which I'll talk about when we get to that section, about how you could convert characters from Wrath and Glory to use on a tabletop. So, you know, if you had a situation where, you know, you've got your, your tabletop campaign going, or sorry, your, your your RPG campaign going, and you want to have a big battle, and you want to have your character present in that big battle, mechanisms for how you might do that. So, Sounds
2: awfully dangerous, but okay.
0: Yeah, definitely. Right, Rattling Glory is supposed to be dangerous, so.
2: Yeah, but there's danger, and then there's getting shot at by a. You know, the Battle
0: Cannon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Volcano Cannon. Well, That's there you it. go. <laughs> all right, and then we'll close out the show. So without further ado, let's get into the news. Command acknowledged. Accessing Imperial Archives. So news-wise today, um, not from Games Workshop, not much on the rest. So start off with Ulysses North America. We've basically seen nothing at all from Ulysses now since the first week of January. So the 7th of January was their last Twitter post. Yeah. There's been nothing on their website now since December. So we're really in a holding pattern right now for Wrath and Glory news. Not much to really see there. Nothing Nothing gives me concern anyway. I mean, obviously, they were responding to questions on their Facebook page about delivery of the books and everyone got the materials during sort of the sort of January period. So I'd say that everything's trucking. Normally, I've got nothing to say right now, basically. But the last sort of the stuff was quite focused on what they were doing with, with TORG. So, you know, we might see some more Wrath and Glory stuff as we move towards the middle of the year, I will yeah. tell. Um, Over to Cubicle 7, Uh, so first off, on the Woofrup side, uh, they released a writer uh, for Warm of Fantasy roleplay, as well as they've had a couple of segments of information on a book they're working on called Rough Nights and Hard Days, which will be a five adventure anthology for um, the roleplay system, and apparently reintroduces gnomes. So I don't remember gnomes being a part of Warm of Fantasy. Have I missed something there, or...? That's a very D and D thing, I thought. But...
2: Uh, gnomes did exist in third edition, fourth okay. edition tabletop. I mean, we're talking about nineties, okay. early nineties.
0: Okay. So, well, apparently they're coming back along with along with this Why? new adventure book. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you one thing for
2: certain, it won't be because of popular demand.
0: <laughs> well, not from you. <laughs> that's just because you hate gnomes. I yeah. can't imagine you from anyone. Gnom- I mean, gnomes.
2: No, no, seriously. <laughs> they, they were such a minor part of Warhammer Fantasy back, even back in the day. Yeah. It'd be like people going, oh, we desperately need to bring FEMA back.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's the look of that. On the Age of Sigma RPG, there has been some info dropping. So first off, they had a bit of a, a, an early teaser that gave me some thought. So what they said in the early teaser was that it'll be a D6 system yeah. where your role will be an addition of an attribute plus a skill yeah. and that characters will be defined by archetypes. Oh, and, really? I'm, and I'm like, have they just taken the Wrath and Glory setting and, and or system and put it into One of Fantasy? But then the, the follow-up article they posted did sort of put, that, put, put to bed that one part of it where it said that, the attribute list in Age of Sigmar is only three attributes, body, mind, and soul.
2: Yeah,
0: okay. Uh, and there will be 24 unique skills. So I guess it doesn't throw out completely the base mechanic system of, like, the icons and exalted icons, but maybe they'll go from where. I mean, obviously, there's no relationship between Cubicle 7 and Ulysses North America, except for the fact that I know that the guys there know each other, like, obviously, T- um, uh, Ross Watson knows T.S. Lucat, and I'm assuming they you know other people at the studio as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and we do know that the archetype, it does say, could be very specific in terms of things like an actual career, or it could be quite esoteric. Yeah, you know, so the archetypes would be quite broad. So really we've only seen a few hints at what Agency my role playing will be. They have released the cover art, which is sort of reminiscent of the other Agency my artwork, which is coming out right now. Um I will say, Mike, that uh being I've been going to the Games Workshop store a few times recently for the Vigilance campaign, and I have actually seen a few people campaigning Age of Sigmar as well. And so, you know, I've been, as I mentioned to our sort of Facebook group, I've been considering trying to pull out Path of Glory as such. And, and I just you, don't
2: see where we'll find the time to ever play an Age of Sigmar. You,
0: you have to make the time, like You cannot find the time. You've got to make the time.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, let's talk about Games Workshop because that's where all the news in the last month has been. Uh, first thing I want to say, and this was like something I was quite excited about at the time, was that. Uh, you might know if you read White Dwarf, that White Dwarf has a segment called Temporal Distortion, which is basically a two-page spread, which is like, here is a White Dwarf from the days of yore, and here's what it included here. So, oh, we can see the first time that wave serpents appeared, or, you know, here was the first time we saw Eldar Dreadnoughts, or the case may be. And in this episode, this is the February issue, they actually had a whole Temporal Distortion pullout, which was a complete reproduction of the battle report from an old White Dwarf. And this battle report was an early days uh space marine, as in, like, the first epic 40K game. Yeah. Uh, and it was orcs versus squats. And I thought, they're putting in a squat battle report in a modern white dwarf. Like, is this, you know, a hint that we're going to see more of squats, you know? Uh I, In the end, after reading it and reading the actual issue itself, I don't think so. It was more a case of they had back um Jervis Johnson and Andy Chambers to do a battle report um for this most recent white dwarf and they were doing uh, kill team. And so they decided to take the last game they did together in White Dwarf, which was that that epic 40K game. And that one had a storyline which so that was actually apparently the, the battle which led to the creation of Commissar Yarrick as a, a character in 40K. So they decided to sort of continue the storyline of that epic battle as a seri- as a series of three kill team battles between Orcs and Imperial Guard. So, um, yeah, but I just thought it was funny that, you know, in a today's day and age, they're, they're reproducing material that's got squats in it. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so what else have we had from 40K? So first off, okay, so there were new beta re- uh, rules released, which is the new Bolter Drills. Yep. So this, I think, it's been one of the few non-controversial um, changes I've seen to the rules. So if you're not familiar with it, uh, in 8th edition, some weapons have a rule called rap- Rapid Fire which basically means that if you are shooting at half their range, you get to roll twice for each attack. So if we- weapon's rapid fire, two means you roll two dice at normal, but if it's half range, you roll four dice. Yeah. And the new rule for bolters is that if it's uh, a bolter weapon, this includes, you know, any, any bolter has got rapid fire, which is pretty much just normal bolters because... Bolters, storm bolters. Storm bolters, hurricane Special bolters. Special issue bolters, yeah. yeah. And you're a marine. Yeah, so yeah, you, have to, you have to be a marine or accept this or um, heretic, uh, a, a, a trader of studies, yeah, basically. Yeah, a
2: marine or a chaos marine.
0: Exactly. And it means that you then can roll the full set of, you roll twice, basically, if you're at half range, like normal, or you haven't moved, um, or you are a. Bike or a dreadnought. A bike, a vehicle, a dreadnought, or a terminator. Yeah. So so this is probably. Or, or, or centurion as well, I should point out. Um, so this is the first time we've really seen a buff going the way of Terminators because Terminators have sort of been a bit maligned in 8th edition. And now we're seeing that, okay, Terminators can actually fire their, their Storm Bolters at full rapid fire, you know, whether they walked, whether they teleported them, whatever the case may be, just because they're Terminators. What it has done though is it's actually been a real boon towards eating with Hurricane Bolters. So Storm Raven gunships, um, Ironclad oh, Dreadnoughts. Ironclad oh, Dreadnoughts, you know, um, the Centurions as well, which have the Hurricane Bolters. They just push out more DACA. And, I mean, I've watched a few battle reports that they, they play the rules, and I don't think it's game-breaking. Um, I think probably the one unfortunate thing is that any sort of, any any buff for one army is can be technically viewed as a nerf for other armies, uh, depending on the way you sort of cattle up. And the thing is that the... An army which is similar to Space Marines in that they have you know, the same save, um, same armor, same, armor removal, same weapon profile as such, is Sisters of Battle, and they were not doing well in the matter at all, even after the changes from Chapter approved. And you know, even though this, this rule doesn't affect them directly, uh, you've now got Marines which they are easily compared to being buffed slightly that they don't get as well. Not, not that I'm saying Sisters of Battle should get the bolted drill rule. I understand why it's a Marine-only thing. Yeah, uh, but it does. It does mean in terms of managing the meta and you know, the, the success rate of different armies, it's just sort of pushed them further towards the edge. You know. Yeah. Um. But overall, I think it's, I think it's a good rule. I like I, it. I think it's a good rule. My my problem
2: is that I find Eighth Edition is very heavily weighted towards ranged armies. Malay yeah. armies suffer.
0: Yeah, and definitely.
2: any buff that improves everyone's. Shooting abilities or one particular or a couple of army shooting abilities. Just makes that worse. Just makes that worse. Just makes it more noticeable again.
0: I mean, I think we mentioned it before in the show, but the the change I'd like to see with Terminators is for them not to suffer the penalty for heavy weapons like Thunder Hammers or um, Power Fists.
2: It's funny you should say that. I was actually talking on a Facebook group that I'm a member of and we were talking about things which we would do, small changes, which we think would make a unit worth taking. And I actually mentioned that one and quite a few people agreed with me.
0: I mentioned it in the game's workshops during the day, and, and the store manager agreed. He, 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 his feeling was that um, rather than doing these bolt rules, he would have done that and also allowed them to move and shoot heavy weapons without penalty.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the Terminators need that back. They used to have it yeah. in, in previous editions. I think third onwards, third to seventh, they had that rule where they could move and shoot heavy weapons, yep. no penalty. Then they lost it for eighth, and I think it's noticeable. Yeah. It is noticeable.
0: So I told him he works for games Workshop. sent a freaking email. <laughs> you, you, know, you know the guys <laughs> Tell them to fix this
2: the, the other rule change which we suggested Which we were talking about Which we felt was important Would be sniper weapons Shooting into a normal unit yep. The player shooting the sniper weapon Should be allowed to choose the, the c- Oh the specific model So if you want
0: to take out like a heavy weapon A
2: special weapons guy yeah. A heavy weapon guy The sergeant Whoever yep. You can pick and choose the model that you want to deal if, with a sniper weapon, I even if you only made it so that only on the when you roll the six for the sniper mortal wound shot you can do it. Yeah. Just something to make sniper weapons worth doing something other than only hunting characters. The,
0: the only rule that you'd probably want to, you'd have to work out a way to deal with is the fact that units with multi wound models, mm-hmm. once you've applied a wound to a model, so the next wound has to go to that model. Yeah. So you can't have two models in the unit which both have a wound on them as such. So, say for example, I've got a squad of 10 guys. One's got a wound on him, and they get, they get shot by a sniper, which does a wound, or is that even two wounds. Yeah. Can they use those two wounds to kill the guy they want, or are they got to do one wound to kill the guy who's already wounded, and then one wound on the guy they wanted to kill as such? Just just an example. You have to yeah, work yeah. That sort of stuff out. But yeah, yeah, okay. Um, all right. Also, you got to say something else? No. no. Uh, also, this month we had the Las Vegas Open, uh, and that included a special preview session where there were some big updates for all the game systems, but probably. The, for 40K, the things to look at, first off is that we are seeing Abaddon is finally getting a new model. Yes. You know, after, after all the jokes about how many times cow cowgar has Kalgar's been updated, and Abaddon's been you know, updated in no times. But what I really like there is, um, so I was in a, in a Games Workshop store the day that they, because they, they announced first off on, on Warhammer Community, they're going to have an announcement at the LVO. Yeah. And I was at a store after announced they announced they're going to have it before the announcement, and there was a player there saying, I bet you it's another lieutenant. Yeah, it's like how many freaking Primaris lieutenants do we have, you know? And what's funny is that the video that revealed Abaddon started off by making it look like it was going to be a new Primaris lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's like the best of Primaris lieutenant to date than it was Abaddon. Not that they've actually shown the full model yet. Totally yeah, but they was. did
2: show the fact that there is a dead Primaris lieutenant on this
0: base. Yes. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, the big news I think from that really is the upcoming launch of Shadow Spear. Yeah. So Shadow Spear is a new box set along the same lines as Wake the Dead or um, Tooth and Claw, uh, which is uh, Primaris Marines versus Chaos Space Marines. But I guess what's specific about uh, Shadow Spear is that every single model in the box is a new sculpt.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so we've seen new Primaris forces, including new Primaris snipers, a new Primaris librarian. We've seen new Chaos Space Marine models, including new um, Obliterators. This new demon engine thing, which looks like a giant spider. Yep. Uh, so looks very good. Definitely very interesting in this one. Uh, now they were saying there was like a there was like a, a I think an eighty day or not an eighty day countdown. There was, there was some sort of countdown. Which so we're recording this on the twenty sixth of February. Yeah, they're to like day seven. Now, seven seven days to go. So um, originally, uh, like when I was in GW on the weekend, the guy speculated that they would be announcing a pre order this weekend for the following week, which would mean that on Day Zero, which is this coming Saturday or, or Sunday. You can Sunday, do the pre-order. You do the pre-order. But they've already announced the pre-orders next week on Warhammer um, Community. Shadow Spirits is in among them, so I don't know what will happen then when they hit Day Zero, whether – I mean, well, maybe – I think Day Zero is actually like the, the Sunday or the Monday. It wasn't the uh, Saturday. Uh, it's the
2: Monday, so I think Monday. it might be a case that they'll show it They'll tell everyone about it. They'll put loads of community posts about it and pictures of it and everything else. Yeah, okay. And they've been then doing all you can order sorts of... it on the Saturday. Yeah,
0: following that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. So because otherwise, if you announce it on the day that you can start doing pre-orders, you might not actually get great pre-orders.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's it. Uh, and
2: they've had the rumor engine thing going. Which yeah, they've been they've showing all sorts of the snippets. demon engine rumor yep. engine, and he's been showing loads of chaos pictures.
0: Yeah, including chain axes. So this is one of the rumors flying around. Is that in the same way there is a rumor going around that they will not be building any new non-primaris marines? Is that they're going to base, they're, they're, the rumor is they're going to retire the enti- entire current chaos space marine model flock and replace it with you know what's basically coming now in shadow spirit related products? You know because some of the models like you know berserkers are a pretty old sculpt I believe aren't they? Berserkers
2: are an ancient sculpt and they're a ugly, ugly. <laughs> Ugly. Sculpture. I just
0: hate the. I just hate the running. The running pose one. The, the rest are okay, but the, yeah, the, the guy that's like one, one leg up, you
2: know. Some of the heads are absolutely dorky and ridiculous, and the arms just ungainly. Yeah. Just the whole sculpture just and, ugly. If
0: you know what? You know what? The guy with the who, with the running leg reminds me of. What? It's like when four year olds are wrestling, and one guy's trying to like kick behind himself. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it looks like. Like I'm trying to kick the person behind me. I can of sort of think my leg up backwards.
2: <laughs> oh. so. <laughs> so they're just hideous models. Yep. And yeah, some of the others. I mean, some of the sculpts don't need replacing in the in the Chaos Marine Ranch. If they said, "Oh, we're going to replace everything," I'd kind of be a bit surprised if they replaced Raptors and the Walk Talons, yep. If they replaced um, the Defiler, the Rhino, the Land Raider, the Predator, all, yeah, I mean, these I mean, those are the, most they're, of the
0: vehicles. They just no, basically right. the same Rhino kit with a different with a yeah. separate sprue. That's it. So. But
2: that said. Your actual basic Chaos Marines, the Devastator set, obviously Berserkers. All a lot of your infantry need replacing. Terminators, yeah. nothing. Well, I, I mean, there fine. is no Dev-
0: The Devastator set, Tony. They're, they're, that's a um, Finecast mod. cast one isn't is not. Yeah. Is it metal or Finecast? It's Finecast. Yeah. And we
2: know that Games Workshop have got an absolute hard on for getting rid of all their Finecast stuff. Yeah. Anything that's Finecast, I wouldn't expect to see in the next three years to still exist.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, i that when they've done things like um, they did Eisenhorn recently. Yeah. And they did things like, but um, uh, the Citizen for Battle character, um the name But the one, the one that's basically based on the John Blanche artwork. Yeah, that was done in Finecast as well, and that's a recent, recent sculpt. In fact, well, the next thing i was going to mention was the, the Black Library celebration, and they released that new Commissar figure, which I picked up on the day, but I haven't opened the box yet to see if it's a plastic or. No, a... It'll be a plastic. Okay, hundred yeah.
2: percent, it'll be a plastic. But I wouldn't be surprised to see if they do a space. Curse Space Marine box, yep. then they have upgrade screws for Devastators and Berserkers that you add on to that kit to turn them into something else. Yeah. I think that would be the easiest way for them to go. They can mass-produce loads of the Cast Marine box sets, sell just those, and then an upgrade screw off of the web store. don't even have to keep it in store. Bam. Upgrade. See,
0: so, so one of the things I observed, so I noticed this when they released Drakari originally, and that was that... Um, they they did a new Star Collecting set. So you had the old Star Collecting set which was mainly Cavalite Warriors, you had the new Star Collecting set, which was mainly witches. They came with different vehicles, different characters. Yeah. And you know, obviously at the point that they released a new one, a lot of stores still had the old one. You know, some stores still had um what was the uh the game with the, with all the, the flying the, Oh well um, so
2: Skies...
0: You, you know what I mean anyway. Yeah, it was like Gangs, of Kimura. Gangs of Kamora. Gangs of Kamora, that's it, yeah. Um so yeah, if you were a person who was thinking about starting 40k and wanted to get a dark color army, you could get both star collecting sets and Gangs of Kamora, and for a minimal dollars, you actually had quite a sizable army there. Gangs with, of Kamora
2: was also, much, to some extent, it was probably one of the best value box sets they've done.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and so you had you know, a substantial amount of miniatures there, of, of a good variety too. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you buy two. Star collecting sets, you've got two of the same model in it, and two of the same miniatures. In case of like Death Watch, you've got great, you've got two Watch Commander Artemis, for example. Um, <laughs> less relevant when it's the exact same figure. Uh, so I can see if if they started bringing out some new star collecting sets, especially around like, say, Chaos Space Marines, that you can get people who had been delaying getting into the game because of the cost. And they're going, well, look, you know, if I get Shadow Spear and I get the old Starcleting Cow Spray springs. I get the new Starcleting Cow Spray springs. I've got a decent-sized army ready to go for, a, you know, a few hundred, five hundred dollars thereabouts, Australian, but it's still, you get a lot for that much, and then you'll get buying them separately in just the, the box set, so... This also led to
2: some of the debate about Spear, which is people saying, oh, will the individual things in there be available separately, or is it going to be, you have to buy this box set if you want this librarian?
0: Yeah, so, I mean... We've, what have we seen where they've done that where it's only been unique things? So for example with with, with with Wake the Dead, for example, the characters you got the character Eldar and the character Marine, um we haven't seen elsewhere yet. That's not to say you won't. I mean look at the fact that um Eldrad you used to get with Death Mask and they put that Eldred, they made the Eldrad separate. Yeah. You had the um Gathering Storm box sets and they they put out um uh Gulliman separately, they put out the Um, They put out the Cypher separately. They put out the, what do you call it, Grey Knight one separately. Um, So, yeah, they they have been breaking those sort of things up. Um, I mean, it seems like a waste to put all this time into a a new sculpt and then only sell it in one box. They did that with Dark Imperium. All the the sort of Chaos Space Marines and uh, Plague Marines that come in Dark Imperium haven't been seen elsewhere, but that box will remain current for the entirety of the 8th edition line, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's not and any danger pick, of being removed from stores.
2: And you can pick up copies of those characters off of eBay for like five bucks.
0: Well, that's it. I certainly a lot of people bought, didn't, yeah, they bought one, didn't want the other one and such, so. Yeah,
2: if there's an identical character, if there's a one per army character in the Shadow Spear box, and people buy multiple boxes, they will sell the spare characters on eBay, so I'm not that
0: fast. Yeah, look, I mean, i I really like the fact that in my Ultramarines army, I have Three tactical squads, three intercessor squads um, that are all, every every model is unique. You know, in that, you know, the three tactical squads have come from three different tactical squad box sets over time and have different poses, different parts, you know, different missile launches, etc. Different sized hands. Yeah. (laughs) Different sized bases is the more annoying part, you know, 25mm and 30mm bases. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a nice thing to have that that uniqueness of figures in your arm, anyway. Whereas I, with my Imperial Guard, I've got five squads that have. I mean, look, you can move the arms around, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, a lot of the poses are pretty similar. So, yeah. but I did manage to finally paint a troop, a whole a whole squad of troops. Yeah. In this last month as well. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. What else? We saw the release of Warhammer Adventures. So this was um, City of Lifestone for Age of Sigma and Attack of the Necron for. Um, uh, forty k. Uh, and finally, uh, we now saw a the return of the Amble. Yes. So, what was the Amble from originally? I don't. I Road don't. Road Trader. It was from Road Trader, was it? it? Was yeah, from Road okay, Trader, yeah, yeah. So it's they've done it in two ways. First off, you've got for Blackstone Fortress, you've got the Dreaded Amble box set. Yep. Which personally, I think is a, is on the costly side. It's, 90 it's, bucks, it's like ninety eight dollars Australian, and you basically get a couple of maps. You get one miniature. Which is the end You get the two little sort of the little sort of bases for the um, yeah for the uh, little sort of swarms. and then pretty much the rest of it's cars. Yeah, there is some heavy car stock there for things like the the research station and sort of stuff which which goes on top of precipice. But um, yeah, I, I know. I, I just I don't want not say it's cash grabbing. You know, at the end of the day, a product is worth what someone will pay for it. I was just surprised. Like the picture, it's hard to tell. Is it the same size as the Blackstone Fortress box? No, it's actually really quite small. Yeah, it's not much bigger than say an old VHS or you know a, a paperback book, or such. So, yeah, um, yeah, I was surprised at the cost, but I still bought it. <laughs> yes. I'll buy anything. Uh, and then we also saw, uh, which hasn't been released yet, a uh, the the Necromunda kit, which yes. is the, the the Ambot. The Ambot. There's yeah. two.
2: There's two Ambots. And well, there's loads of options. It, on it's, it's
0: one. It's one sprue can do either Ambot, basically. Yeah. Ah, so, okay. so so you get you can, so one kit can only build one Ambot, but either of those. So there's like the one that's got like the half mechanical face and one that's got the full mechanical face but they're all off the same single sprue.
2: Yeah, and apparently yeah. both of the models they've previewed all have melee weapons but apparently it does have options for ranged weapons as Okay, well. yeah. melt guns and grab guns.
0: See, was I, I wasn't sure about the law it. I was trying to figure out whether it is an a biological amble which has basically been silently changed or if it's just a automaton which is just modelled on the original Amble. because It's just a
2: robot built. Like okay, to look yeah, because like I yeah. didn't
0: see any organic components that no, no, made no. up the actual structure they're, of
2: it. Yeah, they're a robot built for mining, so they went after the the ultimate mining animal. Yes. And they built the robot based on that <laughs> because you know.
0: Well, have you read the, like the backstory to the dreaded Amble in Blackstone Fortress? No. So basically, like uh, one of the sort of people that was trying to explore the fortress is like, this whole thing keeps changing. It keeps moving around. I'm secretly trying to find my way around this. I'm just going to release an amble in the Blackstone Fortress, and it will burrow its way through. And I'll just follow the path and find everything. You know, everything exactly right. And then, of course, that rogue trader disappeared, and now the amble is loose in the, uh, You've the Blackstone Fortress. Probably got eaten
2: Fortress. by an amble because it's and, a really <laughs> bad idea. And,
0: and and now the the other follow, the other um, explorers on precipice are worried that if the amble because um, they they have this they, they spawn basically. That it will then become infested, and the blackstone fortress will be a complete write-off. Then, um, which is nice because in the rules of the game, the, bla- the amble treats monsters as explorers. So, so, so if a if a enemy is the closest unit to the amble, it will go and kill that rather than killing a player character.
2: Oh, that's nice. So, so
0: you can be quite tactical in terms of your position to make sure the amble is killing them and not you, because it's pretty deadly. I got to say, especially the one of the missions in it has the has the amble enraged, which is a whole different stat card,
1: yeah. which is
0: insane. So. But where they into our Blackstone Fortress campaign as well, so <laughs>
2: fantastic.
0: Um, and actually, the last thing I want to mention, just on the Games Workshop side, so I was really surprised by this. So, if you're in Australia, like we are, Games Workshop are opening a new store in um, in Queensland, just outside Brisbane, which they're calling their Warhammer Championship Store. Yeah,
2: Mount
0: Mount. Ra- 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 uh, ra- uh, ra- I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're just guessing here, but it's, it's on the Warhammer community site like, anyway. Yeah, it was um, Mount something. And the idea here is that this is a store you can go to for major tournaments. Interesting they chose to put it in Queensland, given that Games Workshop's had office in Australia is in Sydney.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I don't know whether they've got more stores there or whatever, but they, they decided to drop up there. No, it's an excuse for the for
2: the honchos at the
0: office here in Sydney to have an excuse to go up to Brisbane. That is where the best weather in Australia is yeah. anyway. So
2: I'm sure all of the competitions will occur at peak summer.
0: Well, I mean, the, first, the first one's what April, April, March, April, oh. so it's sort of like in, in in autumn there or fall. Um, but what I found interesting was the fact that um, as of April, all of the Warhammer World unique items, like you know the the command rhino and um, uh, land raider and the special character um, Arbites, no, sorry, um, uh, Custodes, for example. Yeah, uh, will all be available from that store indefinitely as well, not just for events. Okay. So, I mean, I was I was a little bit disappointed when I went to the the Grapevine store at the opening there; they didn't have those special models there, but they will have it in Australia. So, I don't have to go anywhere near as far as Grapevine, Texas, in order to uh, to pick up those those accessories. So, yeah. I see a second Land Raider entering my my Space Marine army. They're just so <laughs> unimpressive. Just one of them. Look. They're either destroyed first turn, or they do a lot of damage. You know, it's, 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 it's like so many things. Like, it's, like, it's like an Eldar Titan. You know, <laughs> an Eldar Wraith Knight. You know, it's either destroyed yeah. first turn, or it actually does something. They're, they're the options. There are only two options. Uh, all right, and then finally on the computer gaming side, uh, Battlefleet Gothic Armada Two launched in January. I think this is a full launch, not a yeah, yeah, not, cool. not an early access. Um, I have only gotten so far as completing the tutorial before I had to go and play other games that were also coming out. Um, but I found to, it. Sorry, had to love it. <laughs> like I, I have, I have certain types of games that I'm more interested in, like RPGs. Obviously, always take more of my attention. Um And the fact that you know my kids were watching me play it and seemed less interested in battles uh, in uh, yeah, so Battlefield Gothic Armada than they did other games I might play, like say Call of Duty yeah. uh, or Fortnite when they play it. But um yeah, look, I mean, so far it, it's it's visually much nicer than the original Battlefield Gothic Armada. It is. Easier to learn, I honestly think. Um, once again, it still has a problem where if you're, not, if you're not fully into the game, it takes a while to work out what everything actually means. Like, what is it? How, do, how does ability A vary from ability B, which seems to be the same thing, just with a different animation, for example. Yeah. But overall, I think it looks quite good. Okay. So. All right, lots of news. Let's get into talking about the games now. Knowledge is how High well. So since we're in a chaos mood today, yep. I thought we'd start off by talking about corruption and malignancy. Um, and this system actually is is quite, I guess, simplistic compared to um, previous positions, but yep. it's also, in my opinion, really, really unforgiving. It is. so. <laughs> it's pretty harsh if it goes up pretty quickly. Exactly right, yeah. So first off, I mean, cr- the corruption system is really built around a your corruption points and corruption tests. So I guess the first thing is corruption tests. Give me, give me some extreme examples of when you might make a corruption a corruption test.
2: Um, you're standing in a room and a warp rift opens.
0: Yes, you know, you invoke the name of a of a of a, of a ruinous power, and uh, the ruinous power takes notice. Exactly, but there are also some much more, uh, I guess, subtle ways that might cause a corruption test. Things that, things that may actually, not seem to be yeah, chaos driven in the first place. It,
1: the
2: book gives some good examples of very low level things which. For most play, most characters will actually pass this test easy, single success, and you're done. Yeah, but things like
0: torturing someone, for
2: example, torturing someone, uh, listening to someone say heresy without doing anything. Yep. Um, yeah, some really things which are going to happen fairly regularly in some games.
0: Yeah, I mean that, that that could be a situation where think about our last game where we were undercover, and you know if someone was to start spreading heresy, and we were ha- we had to basically just collect data and and Sit report there and, and listen report to them. it. You know, it's yeah. like. Yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a good example when you might make a corruption test.
2: Yeah, reading through the corruption rules, you can really understand why willpower is so important for inquisitors.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, ordering exterminators. Oh yes, yes, certainly. <laughs> It's not ordering the wiping out of a whole thing because yeah. at the end of the day, e- um, even
2: if you're doing it for the right reasons, at the end of the day, it's still a corrupting event. You're, you're, you're signing potentially billions of people to death.
0: Yeah. Um. So a corruption test is basically a conviction test. Yeah. Keeping in mind that conviction is based on willpower. Um and uh you can spend wrath in order to reduce the difficulty of the test, but you can't drop it below a total DN of one. Yeah. So under normal circumstances, it's got a default DN of three, but you can look at the table on page three sixty five of the book, which basically gives you some examples of what might be things. So you know, things below three, which are the more mundane things, including, as you say, things like torturing a captive. Um, listening to someone preach heresy for the first time, uh, even exposure to toxic substances, for example, because you know, yeah, mutation can come from more mundane methods than simply just the ruinous powers as well. Yeah. But then, yeah, as you go up to like four and five difficulty, it's actually like being involved in a ritual, um, some perils of what might do this, that sort of thing, developing psychic power, untrained. Uh, these are all things that might cause those sort of high ones. So basically, if you, if you fail this test, you gain one point of corruption. It's as simple as that. The Wrath Vice has an impact uh, because on a 1, uh, you actually gain twice the corruption points. Yeah. On a 6, the 6 went away, so on the page the, the On page 366, it says, the 6 the the end of the test is reduced by 2. Now, normally, a 6 is also 2 icons. So if it was a Liberty 3 test and you've rolled, there's a 6 on the Wrath dice. And that's, nothing else. Uh, that's two icons, and presumably it's dropped the difficulty of the test to one. So, so effectively, a, a six on the Wrath Dice here is basically four, four icons in this particular case. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't, I mean it, that, that's relatively easy to apply.
2: Yeah, but, but it, the main difference is the fact that the difficulty... Even if, say, it was a, a five-difficulty test and yeah. you rolled failure, but you rolled a six on the Wrath Dice... That lowers the difficulty, which affects the amount of corruption you get.
0: That's it. So, it is, so, so
2: even though you failed and you get corruption for failing, you get less corruption because the difficulty was low.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the maximum success that you can achieve on any, any pull of dice is two times the number of dice. Yeah. So in that particular case, it will be possible to actually succeed, unlikely, but possible to succeed in a role where the DN of the role is more than twice, never a dice you've got, but yeah. that would be, that would be a pretty extreme roll. <laughs> or you, or you've got really, really, really poor conviction.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so every time you gain five corruption points, you basically move up a corruption level. So the corruption levels has two main effects. First off, it actually makes future corruption tests harder to resist. Um, yeah. as you're becoming more, uh, evil, I guess. And also it triggers uh, the need to make um, Maliancy Tests, which we'll come to in just a bit. Then there was a very interesting system that was added to the game, and this is called Temptations of the Warp. Temptations of the Warp allow the GM to basically offer your character additional power on behalf of the Ruinous Powers. Now, it's got to be for an action that... It can't just be, you know, I'm doing research on something. You know, it's got to actually be a violent or impassioned, it's, it's going to be an action that actually connects with the Ruinous Powers in some way, you know, an act of evil or an act of, um, you know, violence, etc. cetera. Uh, and the gem will say, you know, would you like to accept the indentation of the warp? And if you say yes, then three things happen. First thing is when you make your tests for that particular role, all ones become sixes. So suddenly the only dice which don't count for successes are twos and threes. And you've got you know a, a one in three chance on every single dice of getting two icons, yeah. Uh, and no chance of a complication on the wrath dice, for example. So, um, quite a good option. You can still fail, to be honest. you know, and and you still suffer the other ill effects if you fail. You know, if you just happen to roll really a bad. whole bunch of twos and threes, which I've you know, as anybody who plays a four plus ballistic skill, you know, with rerolling ones in the in the in the tabletop game, can tell you it happens all the time. <laughs> uh, I've said too bad the the, pa- the powers of the Warp Fickle. Um, it does actually say as well that with those uh, uh, converting ones to sixes, you must convert all ones to sixes. You cannot choose not to. So in case you were shooting someone violently and impassionately trying to shoot someone to injure them, you might inadvertently kill them through a critical hit if you didn't mean to. But, I mean, it does seem incongruous to why you were spending the points in the first place or why you were using it in the first place. Yeah. Okay. Secondly, uh, the GM gains one ruin. Pretty straightforward. Same as a complication. Third one, here's the kicker you gain plus 1d6 corruption with no test to avoid it. Yeah. Um, now, that is a pretty big number, 1d6. You know, in, in a pool which is basically at 26 points, your character is out of the game. So, you know, from a single temptation on the warp, that can be pretty bad. It does specifically say no roll to resist. If there were abilities that reduce the amount of corruption you, you receive from corruption things... They presumably would still function as well. It doesn't, doesn't sort of count that, but the straight, you know, corruption tester resisted is not not an option. I mentioned before, if you get twenty six corruption points, that basically means your character becomes a spawn. So there isn't a lot of sort of scope to to, be, to survive through or beyond that. Okay. Personally, I feel that the risk of getting up to six corruption completely outweighs the benefit of.
2: Well, it depends if this event means the difference between life and death.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, look a character with zero corruption, you know, carrying to six corruption would be not, not be great. You're gonna make a malignancy test, for example, but um you're right, if, if the character is dead otherwise, it's the, the line you, you, you can't you can't sweat tomorrow if you die today. Yeah. So um but yeah, it is it would be a it really is a question of temptation, it's not just it's not just a gimme for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Alright, so when you do go up a corruption level, every time you go up a corruption level, you have to make a malignancy test. Um and when you do this, you make a roll, which is the sum of your character's highest and lowest attribute. Uh, so let's talk about you know, our friend's case, who's got five initiative and one fellowship, that would be a six-dice pull. Yep. So, um, Whereas and... other people who've got a four and a three, seven dice. Yep.
2: More yep. balanced characters do better here.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and it's a base difficulty of three plus the corruption level. So, given that you won't win any role when you get to to corruption level one, you always have a base difficulty of four. Yeah. If you fail, then you gain either a mutation or a mental trauma. The book is quite open to you know choice, like you know maybe the GM will choose because something really matches what the circumstances are. I'd say it comes down to how you got the corruption. Yeah. If, If you've been here listening to a lot of people preach
2: heresy, and you've been reading a lot of books, you're unlikely to suddenly spout a tentacle out of your forehead. But, you know, if you've been exposed to toxic substances or warp energies, mutation's
0: probably more likely. Yeah, but by the same the if the the effect is like, you know, horrific nightmares every night, that's probably more an outcome of the former rather than the latter, basically. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, And if you do get a complication on that malignancy test, you get a second malignancy or or second um, mutation or mental trauma. And I think this is where we see the system becoming even more unforgiving because almost none of the mutations in the book allow a character to continue to existing under the normal scope of an imperial campaign.
2: Yeah, but I, I, had to look, I had a specific look through. There is exactly one lesser mutation yeah. which isn't obvious from just looking at the person. Yeah. And even then, that would be up to debate with the GM.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, basically speaking, if you're in like a you know a campaign where a, or agency position or even just something where you're in regular like a guard campaign, for example, you know one 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 mutation is pretty much came over for most characters in that case.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Which you know could be taken as as quite harsh. I mean, that, again, this is a relatively harsh system as well, though. So mm-hmm. this is the way it is, I guess. So, I mean, that's really the corruption system. Uh, it, as I said, it's small, it's elegant, unforgiving, you know, only having 26 points of corruption before you're screwed, as opposed to like 100 in the old system. Yeah. Um, having a situation where pretty much any mutation means you're screwed, and depending on the campaign setting of the game, you know, so at the end of the day, it would feel like corruption, something you want to avoid. Yeah? Yes. My only complaint with the corruption system here is that, you know, say we were playing a a chaos campaign, you know, people made heretics or chaos faceman, etc. There is no benefit to corruption for them. So if you think about Black Crusade, um yeah, you didn't want to get corruption too fast, but you wanted to try and balance your corruption with your infamy.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, there was benefits to getting corruption because some of your mutations were quite, you know, could add, add strong powers as such. I suppose the same the same mutation would do the same here, but at the end of the day, twenty six points and you're still screwed. So for a character that would be sort of doing evil all the time and potentially triggering lots and lots of corruption tests, you know, it quickly makes the game untenable. Yeah. So you'd have to, I guess as a GM, if you wanted to run a chaos campaign, you had to be more aware of when you choose to do corruption tests, you know, maybe only the first time certain things happen, or for a particularly extreme examples, I don't know. But, uh, yeah. All right, let's keep going. Okay. All supplicants report to the administrator for career assignment. Okay, career-wise today we're talking about The Heretic, yeah. and... First thing we should probably point out is that there is potentially a misprint. Well, there's there's definitely a misprint somewhere in the book, and we're pretty much sure we know where. First off, um, the Heretic in its segment in the actual uh, archetype section is listed as Tier 2. Yep. Uh, In the list of all archetypes by Tier, it's listed as Tier 3. Being 60 build points and basically exactly the same as the Tech Priest in terms of you know its attributes, its skills, even I mean, its ability. Its ability exactly. Um, uh, it would, which is a tier three career. It would appear it's supposed to be a tier three archetype, not a tier two archetype. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, it's very much the same with different keywords and plus three corruption. And yeah. I don't think that's enough. To change, I don't you know, think tier. three
2: corruptions enough to lose loo- lose a whole <laughs> tier. Maybe if it was like five corruption.
0: Yeah, especially you know in a tier two game where you've only got two hundred build points, sixty build points is a is a hefty. Yeah. tax anyway. You would, so. be,
2: you would struggle to make a decent character
0: at tier 2 using 60 points. Exactly right. So I would say that this is meant to be tier 3. It is not in the errata, it's not mentioned at all, but I would say if we were running it, we would do it as tier 3. Alright, so the first thing I want to point out about Heretic, um, and this really comes down to the role of Heretic, is that it is a misconception under normal circumstances to say that every Heretic is somehow devoted to the Runes' Powers. Uh because you do have the concept of the Dark Mechanicum. Um yeah, so in this particular case you had the situation where uh on Mars, uh during the Great Crusade, um the Emperor had all sorts of forbidden technolo- technologies locked away in the vaults of Mars, you know, with orders that they would be open, basically, inside the labyrinth. And the Dark Mechanicum that, you know, during this the schism on Mars were pretty much tech priests that believed that knowledge, you know, didn't have morality as such. It was not about, you know, you, you can't have evil knowledge. You, there's only knowledge as such. And they, they sought to open the vaults of Mars and to understand these, you know, dark technologies and, and their potential power, which included things like artificial intelligence and certainly, you know, things under the influence of chaos. But they didn't go into it thinking, hey, I'm going to worship the forces of evil. You know, it wasn't really a case of good or bad. It was just a case of, you know, the acclamation of more knowledge. Yeah. So in many cases, a heretic can be simply someone who is obsessed with discovering technology, you know, no matter the cost. They're very much a, um, an, an ends-justify-the-means type character.
2: Absolutely. And I think it's also important to point out that not every heretic was ever trained by the Deptus Mechanicus. Exactly it, it's right, it's yeah. not always a fallen tech priest. It can be just some guy who worked in a factory who happened to have a particular skill with technology and learn how to use technology without saying the prayers and the chants.
0: Well, well, I mean, that's a good point. It can also be, as you just say there, that, you know, the whole thing is that technology or, or the technical skill in 40K is considered to be a, not an arcane art, but certainly an, arc, an art of devotion as such. Yeah, it's an act and, of religion. Yeah, that's it. And certainly there are people out there who figured out that, you know, if I turn the key in the edition without invoking the rites, the car still starts. Um, and so it, there are the people, the heretics out there who are heretics because they separate the faith from the science, yeah. and just treat technology as as a science, basically. Uh, and of course, there are other ones out there who are devoted to the ruinous powers, who just yeah. want to <laughs>
2: bind demons into machines.
0: That's right, yeah. And, and once again, and it, it, it justify the means, but you know, it's it's all about you know that, that demons is another another form of life even you know we, we can't Interdimensional. measure it. yeah we can't measure it by our, our regular standards but it's still a, you know a form of a creature that can be bound and controlled and learned from as such so
1: yeah
0: um all right so the heretic as it appears in the book uh so at 60 bill points we said it's tier two as we said but we think it's actually tier three so i like the take priest that has a minimum attribute of intelligence three minimum skills of tech three scholar one um now the keywords sort of but why what we've just spent the last five minutes saying because it it gets Chaos Heretic adeptus mechanicus and Dark Mechanicus. Yeah. So it is implied that this is this this character both worships Chaos and was trained by the adeptus mechanicus.
2: But <laughs> that said, the, the the keywords can also represent how it, easy it is to build, create, or gather equipment linked to those
0: things. Exactly right. You and know. if
2: he's able to make his own demon weapon. Obviously, that would be Dark Mechanicus and the Chaos Keywords.
0: Yeah. But, you know, once again, you can also influence uh, better you know, members of the Dark Mechanicus because you at least understand more about what they're talking about to blend in with them as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. They get plus one influence, as you mentioned before, plus three corruption. Their trait is called transformative technology, which means they half the time required for any tech tests. And they get to add their rank on any tech interaction attacks, basically. So, yeah. same as Tech Priest anyway. So. It's
2: slightly different from Tech Priest. Tech Priest's one is half the time for tech tests. Yep. And they gain plus rank to all tech
0: roles. Okay, not to all really interaction attacks. Not either.
2: interaction attacks, just straight tech roles. Okay. Which is a minor difference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay, War Gear is a lads pistol, an augmentic arm plus choice to augmentics. And I think this is where... This comes into a higher tier character because augmentics have a big adjustment on the character. They're basically permanent stat improvements. Yeah. So that's why this is so expensive at 60 points because you're going to get free stat points out of that basically. Um, all right. So when building a heretic, um, characteristics wise, obviously intellect would come first. It's one of your required attributes. I think probably willpower and toughness is going to be what you're looking at. Willpower to sort of, because you will want to resist the sort of the dangers of what is he mucking around with. Yep. And toughness once again, I think that you know most characters that that go down the augmented path will have a decent toughness to be able to survive all that surgery and probably survive all the gunshots coming away as well when people work out that you're actually a the big hulking tech person, Exactly right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um skills wise, I mean obviously taken scholar, I think deception, you know, especially if you want to blend in with the regular mechanicum. Yep. Um cutting by same respect as well. Uh, investigation, I think, is an important one for a heretic because they are about uncovering hidden knowledge, and investigation is a big part of that. Potentially, if you want to go down like, the biologist path, maybe Medicaid as well, yeah, uh, what your interest is. Pilots also the one that tech, a lot of tech priests would normally have, or, or heretics in this case.
2: And if you want a combat skill, I'd probably say choose melee over ballistic skill. Yeah. But that's just personal preference. I mean... They have a big, big axe or big, big guns. I well, mean, either way, you can go.
0: No augmenting improves your your initiative or your ballistic skill. Yeah, plenty improve your strength. Yeah, so yeah. that's true. Yeah, um, plenty, plenty of plenty of tech priests have a lower agility though as well. So yeah,
2: it's it's important to point out also that tech priests do get slightly better gear because they get a suit of um power armor. Yeah, and they get a power axe as well.
0: Yeah, the a power axe.
2: Yeah, um, oh. but otherwise. Pretty, pretty standard and identical
0: in most ways. Yeah. Talents-wise for the Heretic, uh, I mean Augmentic, if you want to add more Augmentics, it costs 20 or more build points. Uh, Lawmaster uh, goes along with the, Sch- the Scholar Skill. And keep in mind, because you've got the Admech keyword, you can actually take the Admech rights as well. Yeah. So probably the right of fear, um, which is 30 points, 30 points uh, which allows you to basically emit a signal which causes fear I think fits in nicely with the sort of the chaos-worshipping machine yeah. controller.
2: I'd also say you might want to consider cybernetic reconstruction as the talent. Gives you some bonus to your soak roles and, um, and tech roles again.
0: Depending on the scope of your campaign as well, maybe someone like devotees. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then, then of course, once you've got devotees, you can then get Betrayer as well. So <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's it. Um, I guess when you're playing a heretic... A lot of how you play a heretic will be informed by the um the the setting you're playing in. Yeah. Uh because you wanna know first off, am I overtly evil or is am I sort of trying to hide the fact I'm a heretic, you know? Yeah. To the rest of the PCs no. I mean I've had so many problems in the past with PCs keeping secrets from one another, or players trying to keep secrets from another. Um <laughs> just causing stress and gains, but yeah, you know, some groups do it well, so you can not yeah. have that sort of hidden evil within a group. Um, yeah, you know, is your character knowingly devoted to the ruinous powers? You know, I mean, a lot of a lot of heretics may not enter into what they do, meaning to worship chaos, but it just comes over time with exposure to this sort of technology. Uh, but you know, what is your character's in to the you know, this tech world? Is, is it actually following the Ruinous powers, or is it will that come later? And just, I guess, always remember that you know, with with heretics, the end will always justify the means. Yes. Whatever it is you want to achieve, whatever it takes to get there, it doesn't matter. So.
2: Yeah, I agree with all that. Yep. Yeah, I, I think the main thing is to to hammer out. Does your character act like a tech priest, or are they more emotional and crazy, like a like a random person, or are they affected by the warp in any way? Did how did they get into the path of tech priest, and. Herotech and all of that sort of stuff. Yep,
0: yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah.
0: All right, let's keep going. Okay. My lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. So we've got a special guest for today's review. And uh, what we're doing a review on, so first off, uh, during the last month, as I mentioned in the news section, we saw the release of Warhammer Adventures, both Sea of Lifestone and Attack of the Necron. And uh, as it turns out, uh, I don't know if this is the case in just Australia or other countries, but... Black Library has actually been looking to open up some distribution here where rather than them just selling through Games Workshop and Warhammer stores, they've actually appointed Simon & Schuster as a a local distribution agent, and that agent will be selling their books into, uh, I guess, more standard bookstores as well. I know, for example, that these books are available in Barnes & Noble in the US, so... I assume this is a strategy that the Games Workshop has globally, but in any case, Simon and Schuster actually provided us with early review copies of both books uh, about a month ago now, and uh, so what I actually did, rather than reading them myself, I thought, you know, the target audience is is kids 7 to 12, I have a child aged 7 to 12, so I want to introduce to the show um, Alex. So say hello, Alex. Hello. So Alex, first off, how old are you? Seven. Okay, so right in the wheelhouse there for these books. Um, just so we establish what you already know. Uh, how familiar are you with Warhammer Forty Thousand?
1: I'm not that familiar with it, but I still like it.
0: Okay, wh- why don't you tell me what you do know about it?
1: Um, that it's um basically um a role playing game where you have tiny figures and whichever team and whichever team of figures. Um, get gets survives all of it. Wins the game.
0: Okay, and you and you played forty K as well with me a couple of times? Yeah. Did you enjoy that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And and do you have a favorite army yet in Warhammer forty K?
1: My favorite one that I've got right now is Blood Angels.
0: Blood Angels. What do you like about the Blood Angels?
1: That like the they have they're good at range and technique. What
0: okay. is... So you like, okay, so like so you like the the range stuff, do you? Yeah. Because you've got a Tau army too. Yeah. But recently you were eyeing off space wolves, weren't you too? You like the look at the space wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're 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 less range. They're more stabby stuff as well.
1: Yeah, they're more stabby stuff.
0: What about um? I mean, sometimes when I've got friends around here and we're playing 40k here, you like to come and watch, don't you? Yeah. And you like all the dice getting rolled. Would you like to learn to paint the miniatures too? Yeah. And you want to give that a go. Yeah. All right, so you, so far, have read one of the books. So which book did you read?
1: Attack of the Necron. Yeah, so
0: Attack of the Necron, which is by Kevin Scott. Uh, we thought we may as well start off with the 40K stuff. And are you interested in also reading City of Lifestone? Yeah. Okay, well, maybe we can talk about that on a future show as well. got both books. you got both books, yes. So first and foremost, did you enjoy the book? Yes. Yeah, did you find it easy to read? I mean, how did it compare with other books you're reading, like from school right now? Harder, um, easier?
1: Kind of harder, but it's very interesting. It can it it can entertain you a lot.
0: You, you find it very entertaining, did you? Yeah. Did you f- find any bits of the book that were hard to understand? You, know, did, you know, any particular book I'm just it, some bits some bits that were hard to understand. Okay, no, but you did you understand the whole story right the way through? Yeah. Could you give us maybe just a just a short idea of the story without giving away the ending? So so what, what what's it mainly about?
1: Um, it's usually about a girl. A, a boy and an alien on a mission to escape a planet that the girl went to by herself.
0: Okay, they, they escape from their own ship and an escape pod or something, is that right? Yeah. And they're trying, Okay, and, and there they run across, I think, is, is it one Necron, necron. or multiple? Uh, one necron multiple or? Necrons. Multiple Necrons, okay. And, what, and they have space marines as well. I can see an yeah. in the cover too. All right. Um, now, the, the review copy that you got didn't have all the artwork. Some of the things just said placeholder, but did you like the art that you did see in the book, some of the pictures that were there? Yeah, yeah, seemed...
1: especially the one where they see the Ultramarines.
0: Okay, you like the look of the Ultramarines, do you? Yeah. All right. You and... know
1: they're black and grey in the book.
0: Uh, oh yeah, because it's a black and white book, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's blue on the front cover. Um. So, do you think that you know more about Warhammer now that you've read a bit about it? Yeah. Okay, and did you have a favourite character from the book?
1: I think my favourite character was um, this girl. Zillia? Yeah.
0: Okay, what, what, what did you like most about her?
1: That she's like very smart and she's, she knows what to do and stuff.
0: Okay, and did you like the fact in the book that all the main characters are children, or would you rather be adults doing these sort of things?
1: Uh, children.
0: Yeah? What, why did you like the fact that they were children?
1: Because um, children don't usually do these things, so you're reading like stuff you've never seen, you never heard of before, okay. like stuff like that.
0: So did did you get to imagine what they would like, what it was like to be them? Yeah. Okay. And did you read things in the book that you recognise from when you see, or when you played Warhammer, or you've seen Daddy play Warhammer?
1: Um.
0: Other than obviously, obviously not Space like marines that. yeah, but you mean recognised Space Marines, obviously, didn't you? Yeah. Okay.
1: They just don't look like, they do, just don't look like the things that you make.
0: Okay. And I guess most importantly, um, would you like to read more of these Warhammer adventure books if they bring more of them out?
1: Yeah, but maybe you should start making some Necrons as well, so that you.
0: Oh, you want, you want me to make some Necrons too? So, yeah. you, so you recognize those two? Is that the next army you want after Space Space Wolves? Is, is Necrons? Yeah. Yeah. Okay then. Um, and do you like? Would you like to read more stories about these characters, or do you think you'd rather like to read about different characters?
1: Uh this. I like to see different things.
0: Okay, you also want to see a variety of things. Yeah, but
1: I also I would also like to see these characters again as well.
0: Okay, Uh, and actually, I think we've heard some rumors so far that they may actually be doing a Warhammer Adventures cartoon show as well. So you can actually see cartoons about these characters. Would that be something you would be interested in watching? Yeah. Okay, that could be a while away, but I'll, I'll let you know if that actually does pan out. So overall, Alex, if you had to give the book a score between one and five, what what score would you give it? Ten. 10 out of 5? Yeah. That's, that's a pretty good indictment. You like it that much, do you? Yeah. Okay, awesome. All right, Alex, thank you for coming on the show today, and thank you for talking about Attack of the Necron, and maybe once you've read City of Lifestone, we can talk about that in a, in a future show as well. Okay, so bye-bye, everybody. Bye. The ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is available. So during the last month, um, once again, I got to take part in joining the AP Gaming Reel channel on Twitch and on YouTube to play some more Battletech games. So that was a lot of fun. You can find it on on YouTube. Uh, There's links from previous shows anyway. Um, But I was chatting with um, Arthur Perkins, who's the host of that afterwards, and he's sort of had a a few gaming projects come to an end, and he's looking at starting up new gaming projects. And he's liked with doing the Battletech campaign, like we've done with our Battletech campaign, which is a mixture of the RPG and doing the war game. Now, Arthur is... Familiar with what 40K is, but hasn't really dabbled too much in it. I think other members of his regular group have run some Dark Heresy or equivalent sessions for him as such, but uh, he was interested in potentially doing a, a new show on his channel which is going to be 40K-based with, once again, he wants to focus on the the player characters in a conventional tabletop setting but also make use of the Warhammer tabletop rules because... He was, I was actually joined his uh like I'm a patron of his particular channel, and he has like a regular patrons meeting, and he was talking about the last patron meeting that actually the Battletech game on YouTube has more followers than all of the other shows combined yeah you know and and a lot of people came to it for the same reason I originally did, which was to see how do people go interpreting the rules yeah, you know, which is a relatively difficult rules game you know and see it on youtube being played and so and I do the same thing I watch people play one on YouTube as well. Um, so, yeah, I'd be the sort of person who'd be interested in watching a YouTube series, which is people playing both Wrath and Glory and then moving across the tabletop. Yeah. And when I was talking about it, I said, yeah, because there are rules for, um, you know, between the, the tabletop and the RPG, and what I meant there was that elements from the the tabletop appear in the RPG, like weapons, like vehicles, etc. so you could bring those elements into the game. But what what Arthur was actually looking for was a way to take a, a PC from the RPG and drop them onto the table to run in a, in a war game. Yeah. Now we did this during um, when we reached Run Unbound. Yeah. You know, we had the, the the LARP game, we had the tabletop games, and we also had the miniature war games. And there were players who were playing in that who wanted to take their LARP character and have them have an impact on the battle. Um, so we wanted to do that in a way that both rewarded it. That also gave risk to it as well, but it was a manageable risk, you know. So if a character was killed on the battlefield, you know, there was a chance there would be a long term repercussion for the actual character, which could actually include death if they run out of fate points. Um, but effectively, you know, it gave them a chance to turn battle. So I wanted to sort of put something together for Arthur again. And I thought we're not going to make it up tonight, but I thought I'd just run by some of my ideas with you, Mike. Yeah. Talking about it. And maybe people listening to the show might want to post on our, on our, Facebook page with their comments as well, but ideally, within the next sort of few weeks, I would like to put up just like a little fan supplement on our page that is, you know, basic rules for taking Wrath and Glory characters and dropping them into the miniatures war game.
2: Okay, yeah, sounds yeah.
0: good. So, if you look at a standard 40k war scroll, you know, we'll start off with the, you know, the the basic stats, okay, so anything's going to have movement. So in Wrath and Glory, obviously you've got speed. Um, and the speed of Glory is not too different from the movement in the war game. So, for example, a human has a speed of six, um, which is pretty standard for a human in. Know, what's a, the speed
2: of the average guards, of a guardsman model? Is
0: it, I think it's five or six. Yes. Five or six. That's I think. it. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, speed could directly translate. You might do speed minus one or speed minus two if you wanted to sort of slow it down a bit. But I think that for a, a player character, you know, the most will be humans having a speed having a move of six inches. Is not by any stretch of the imagination game breaking anyway. Yeah. Likewise, nothing really blows out heavily there. Like the the tall, the highest one is a, is an Eldar at eight, which fits in once again with the miniature war games. So speed is extrapolated quite easily.
2: Well, Marines have a speed of six, and I know Marines on the tabletop have a speed of six inches.
0: That's right. Exactly. One for one. Okay. There you go. Um, I, let me. I'm going to say that table, ballistic, skill and ballistic weapons come we'll out. Come back there because they're probably the hardest ones to look at. I want to look at the rest first. Yeah. Strength and toughness are probably going to be the hardest ones, for my mind, other than sorry, hardest ones are the most basic stats. Because yes, you have a strength score and you have a toughness score in the RPG. Now, it would be safe to say that in the RPG, an average human strength is three, an average human toughness is three, and that's identical to the war game. Yeah, you know, an average marine's strength is four, potentially five that's not too out of whack with the, with the miniature war game as well. Yeah. The problem comes from the fact that the, for the maximums that the game, the Wrath and Glory allows, because a Primaris Marine could have a toughness of up to 12, for example. And a 12 toughness in the war game would be in line with some Titans, for example. Certainly not what you would expect any individual Marine. To have. Okay, an, an individual Marine that's not in a Dreadnought, I think would not see a realistic toughness in the war game above five. Six, you know, uh, m- five, f- six. Five, maybe five, six. Yeah, six. six for like a high-end character maybe, you know. Yeah. But not seven or eight or 11 or 12, you know.
2: I've got a solution for this because I have considered it. Before. Okay, tell me what's your
0: solution. It. Humans,
2: yep. three. Yep. yep. Marines, four. Yeah. <laughs> end of story yeah, not, I don't care just, how much you put into it in the tabletop it. you know give them some sort of special rule or something you know a feel no pain or a hard to kill type rule if they've bumped up substantially or a bonus to wounds with their weapons yeah. something like that rather than giving them high strength high toughness
0: Yeah, I, I just
2: think it's just easier that way
0: so the only, I mean, the only other thing I think we're doing would be doing like a diminishing returns table so you know, one equals one, two equals two, three equals three, four to five equals four. You know, six to nine equals five, for example. Um, and then like you know, ten to twelve equals six, and Um, to, to try and pair it down. And then the same once again with strength, because the you know the same limit applies, and the same re- things really. You know, a dreadnought has a strength of eight or seven, but they, they, but they have dreadnoughts. They, they dreadnoughts have, double, have a strength of. Six. Six, six, sorry, yeah. But they yeah. They, they, they double it because they've got their close combat weapon. So it takes yeah, but If it avoid... they don't have a
2: close combat weapon, that yeah. means you've got...
0: A... If, they, if they're stepping on somebody, It's possible for a
2: human to get to a, a ten.
0: Yeah, that's Which would give them a six. Yeah. Which
2: means you would have a human as strong as a Dreadnought.
0: Yeah, I mean, because there's, no, there's certainly no, no humans, like even like the biggest humans have that night, no, six. Yeah. No,
2: So I, I have... And then, of course, if they had some sort of cybernetic, which gave them a little, you know, a plus one to strength, which certainly exists... Yeah, you could potentially have a human with a, a strength of seven, stronger than a dreadnought. I just think that's a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd rather say three. If that's you wanted habit. more, should have been <laughs> well, Maroon, okay. There are there are. But we'll
0: give you a bonus of. There plus are humans. One to win. There are humans in the game with four strength, though. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Four max. Yeah. If you look at some of like the the Catachan guys, for example, you know. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. I think
2: Katarang's get a plus one strength.
0: Yeah, it? that's true. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so that that part, you could either do diminishing returns, or you could limit the same way you do with wounds. I would actually probably take wounds from the um, the player characters as being their wounds on the tabletop game. Now, this might seem a bit high because, okay, so let's talk about, for example, a a tier five game. Mm -hmm. So I've got a marine in Wrath and Glory that's got, let's say, for example, six toughness. Um, and you had you add to tier that, so he's going to have 11 wounds before any other abilities that might add wounds as well. That's an extreme example. Let's come back to a, a basic example. Let's talk about a, a tier one ganger. Okay, yes. so a tier one ganger with a toughness of three, a tier of one is going to have four wounds in the RPG.
1: Yeah.
0: Most tier one gangers, you know, standard gangers in Necromunda basically have one wound. Okay, but I think this is one of those places where. You've got to allow for something for the the character you're putting on the battlefield actually being a PC, being a a, a special individual or such. A step above. A step above, exactly right. And of I, course, I, no,
2: I think the diminishing returns table would work better here.
0: Well, the only consideration is if you do end up with a with a character which pushes their wounds score to ten. They, they can it, be, they can be targeted because they're they're no longer suddenly
2: know. they're taking last cannons <laughs> to the head. Yeah.
0: yeah, so so there is the risk of you know, of shooting you know for a ridiculously high wound score. Um, True, it's it's more the case that like a base level Primaris marine at tier four, even with you know, their base four toughness, is going to have eight wounds, yeah. which is more than any Primaris character in, in the war game. So more than
2: a chapter master. Yeah, exactly right. It's a five, seven. five or six,
0: five or six, in fact. Yeah, mm. so. Um, well,
2: terminate round, though, so...
0: Yeah, so. yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. You could put Dimension the Returns there, or you could hand-wave it to say that it's intended to make the, the player characters more survivable. Give them an actual chance. Exactly right, yeah. Um, attacks is another tough one, because attacks is usually derivative of the character's perceived ability in, me- in melee combat. You could either do it based upon you know, a base one attack plus number of weapons they've got, for example. Or you could say, um well this comes back to what I was going to talk about weapon skill and basic skill, because in the war game, weapon skill or basic skill are based on an attribute and a skill. And in the war game, they are a number there you know there are two plus three plus four plus five plus six plus. Yeah. Uh, so there's only really five allowable values in, in the war game. Whereas the the miniatures sorry the, the board the, the RPG you could have it between one dice and 20 odd dice, you know, at the extreme. Yeah. So I, I think
2: working out a table where if you've got X amount of dice in your ballistic skill, you are a whatever. Yeah. You know, if you've got four dice, you might be a five. five
0: well, plus. And this is where, when you look at your initiative score and your weapon skill, you could maybe use the weapon skill skill to derive where you sit on the weapon skill plus on a on the war game, but use initiative to derive a number of attacks.
2: No, I, I'd say use the same thing for what you'd use for ballistic skill, for weapon skill. Yeah. For number of attacks, I think probably your best bet is to simply look at the type of character. Yeah. So, you know, a, a Marine, generally speaking, has one attack. One
0: attack, yeah. Primaries have two, for example. Primaris have two. Yeah.
2: It, it, it's a, it, pretty much a set-in-stone thing, really, in the number of attacks. You know. Yeah. It, it, that way you... Do it because there's very, very few things that give you more than one attack in the RPG.
0: But it, 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 exactly right. But come down to characters in the war game. So you still still like saying an Eldar, an Eldar guardian has one attack. Yeah. But an Autark has three attacks. Yeah. So what is it about the Autark that gives them the additional attacks over the top of the guardian? You know, training ability. Yeah. Okay. So so then how do you represent that that training or ability on a PC? You know that um. I mean, yeah, okay, that's probably a bad example because they okay. need, need the guardian. Does the
2: character have the archetype
0: Ultark? Yeah, so, so yeah, if, if answer cause, cause, no, yeah. they have one attack. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Okay, well, Warlock then. So Warlock is an archetype which has two attacks in the in the game. They get two attacks.
2: Right? Okay. There you go, so, simple. Yeah. I, I think that's an easier way for attacks because otherwise you're going to have people go, oh, but I've. You know, I just think it'd be difficult to work out the, the ability levels. Yeah. Because there are very few things which will give you more attacks, you know. You might have a very high initiative, yep. and suddenly in your table that gives you four attacks, but if they haven't actually purchased any talents that give them more attacks, yep. why have they got more than one attack? Whereas if they've got something like um, Counter-Strike,
0: yeah, that's
2: a... I'd say give them plus one attack on that. Well, Everyone guess... starts with one attack, and you get a bonus to attacks based on any certain things. Like if you've got Primaris Marine, plus one attack. Yep. You've got Counter-Strike, plus one attack.
0: Let's come back yeah. to talents as well, for example. That's, good. that's a good yep. point there. Uh leadership is probably well, it could be easy. You could simply say that it's irrelevant because you're a one model you're a one model unit, in which case you're never gonna to have to make um uh morale tests. of is the issue is things like psychic powers which attack leadership.
2: I'd say double your resolve.
0: Double resolve or double willpower. I was gonna say, yeah, what's on along those lines, you know, which is gonna give you a score, you know, between like an, ab- like an average character would say three willpower is gonna have six plus leadership, you know. Five willpower. Like a psych is going to have ten plus leadership, for example. For uh,
2: higher tier characters, you just cap it out at ten.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Um,
2: okay. Unless they've got something ridiculous like sixteen, in which case you <laughs> might say cap it out at ten, and they get a feel um, some sort of special bonus to their leadership.
0: Yeah, I mean, or it just, just makes it just. If I like you for those sort of abilities. you we wouldn't target somebody with that high willpower with yeah. that sort of ability anyway, like with mind war or something, you know. Yeah,
2: it would be pretty silly. Too.
0: What's the new gene? So the one which allows you to just keep doing mortal wounds until they until they um, beat you in a leadership test. It's we it's, it's, can't remember. I've seen that. I've seen that in a few battle reports. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, being wiped yeah, out. So, so some
2: some of their psychic powers are very powerful. Like the
0: mind control one as well.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, that's really that's all they've got.
0: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, save. It's straightforward. You know, the save will be derived from the type of armor you've got, and of course, if you've got some sort of feel, that's going to give you an invulnerable save. Yeah. You know, there are very few characters in the you know the war game where you can't point to whatever gives them their save as being this item. You know, that people just don't have. You know, with the exception of things like assassins, maybe just don't have invulnerable saves just because they're really, really good. Yeah. So if you've got flak armor, you've got a five plus. If you've got marine armor, it's a three plus. You know,
2: I'd be willing to say that the the assassins, the death cult assassins special ability for being a death cult assassin would yeah. would allow them to give them a five plus and save, or yeah, six plus
0: vulnerable. And vulnerable. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, gear simple because pretty much all the gear that you're going to be using, weapons etc, is, is already defined rules wise in 40k. You can just use the same charts that appear in the back of Dark, Dark Imperium. Um, so yeah, that brings us back to ballistic skill weapons. We've already mentioned that, but I think yeah, basically a chart which basically shows the add the addition of the attribute plus skill on this chart equals this level. You could get to the point where you say that um, okay, at this level it's now a two plus. At the next level, it's now two plus three roll ones. So like for example, like a, a chaos demon prince has, although their ones more of an aura rather than a, than a particular ability. So, yeah. So that just leaves probably the, the, the hardest and slowest part of making conversion rules, which we basically go through each of the talents in the book. And keep in mind that most characters in the game are only going to have one to three talents. They're not going to have lots of characters, lots of talents. And, you know, characters in the war game have one to three special traits on them as well.
2: Sorry. Say, sorry, just going back a second. You mentioned yep. if they've got the high ballistic skill, it might give them a 2 plus with a reroll. Yep. I'd be willing to say that if they've got that high ballistic skill and a suitably high fellowship, yep. they might actually grant an aura. So that's all it does. Yep. If you have both together, you get an aura buff for others.
0: Yeah. Use a yeah. fellowship to determine the width of the aura, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that would be the next thing. I'd want to go through all of the talents, basically, and say, okay, does this talent appear to have any relevance in the war game. In some cases they've even got the same names as abilities that other characters in the war game have. Yeah. Um and that should give you a relatively basic set of set of rules to actually put the character on the table. Then it comes down to how do you actually use the character because the other thing that's missing from a wall scroll there is a points cost or a power level cost. Yeah. And the thing is that I would say you would never be okay. using a player character in a match play... Yeah, you know, environment. I'd no, nah. say
2: you'd only have a power level for... No, I wouldn't even say that. I'd just say narrative play only.
0: Yeah. and pretty, pretty much. In which just, case the
2: power level doesn't really matter because it's going to be to a scenario. Yeah,
0: that's right. You're not, you're not trying to balance forces. Yeah, At the end exactly. of the day, the player characters are not designed to sit on the battlefield and be compared against a regular combatant. They are above and beyond the forces that would otherwise be deployed for the purposes of this scenario. Yeah. Um and at the end of the day you're probably not just going off kill points or trying to get the height. You know, you're actually if it's being driven by the by the role playing game, you're probably trying to achieve a, a given objective. Yeah. You know, so reach this point, capture this item, kill this person. It's not just who gets the most victory points for kills. You know, it's not gonna be a conventional forty K RPG. You're just forty game forty K tabletop, you're just using the rules to simulate a mass battle. Okay. and you're throwing the pieces into the mix of it, basically.
2: Yeah, I like to that.
0: So then it comes back to the whole, okay, so what is the risk to a player character? So all right, so you've got your character on the field, and they've taken their last wound. Yeah. They're now removed.
2: Break out your old necromunda wound tables.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, so so, the, so they're the question. So, so you've got a few options either. If, you, if, you're, if you're a harsh player, a harsh GM, it's like, okay, you die on the war game, you're dead. Okay, so last cannons, that sort of stuff, you know, quickly become...
2: A threat.
0: A threat, exactly. It's like, right. should... <laughs> yeah. Um so I, I'd be saying things like, um yeah, yeah, you might have to start making – so so at the end of the battle, start making your death saves you would normally make for uh, a, a a player in the tabletop game. here in the sorry in the um in the RPG, you know, to see how many test saves you did you pick up a, a member with injury or something like that. Um I'd probably be doing things like tracking if your character received any mortal wounds because you may want to have, yeah, if you say you wanted to make a wound table, for example, I'd probably try and add a add a a, a, a modifier to that table for any mortal wounds the character received during the course of the, of the combat as well, you know, because I think yeah. that those things need to be represented as something significant. i agree with that. Yeah. Um, it really just comes down to how harsh you want to make the rules. You know, you have it so that. You want to be really light on GM, the players appear there, when they get dropped to zero wounds, they're just knocked out on the edge of the battle, and they get up and brush themselves off after the battle and, and move on to the next part yeah, of the game. I campaign. guess it comes
2: down to how cinematic you want it.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah, Because at the end of the day, running into a 40k skull mass battle should be a risk. Absolutely. You know, lots of people, Yeah, <laughs> look at the guard, you know, they have their average lifespan of Six yeah, so, so many minutes, exactly right, <laughs> that, uh, that's got to be represented in, in, in the game as well, but... I think it, it, it shouldn't be hard to do. Maybe maybe at some point we should just you know have a quick play test these rules and see. Yeah, we
2: can give it a go, and if yeah. it works well, I might even use it in the, in, in our game. Yeah, we'll
0: see yeah. Like, you know, put 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 a. I mean, think about it. Like, if you were to take say a space marine captain and put it against a, a squad of ten guardsmen, that could be. I mean, so a space marine captain is like sixty sixty points I think plus war gear. Yeah, a squad of ten guardsmen is like fifty points including war You know, so it should be. Either yeah, you know, it should. Yeah, but it doesn't could,
2: really work that way, though, does it? So
0: well, it comes down to the dicey roll. not nothing right, you know. But I mean, it should probably err on the side of the. I the mean, captain. You know, we, um, I could probably build an Excel spreadsheet to simulate this as well. You know, so yeah. it wouldn't be too hard. Uh, we did that. To, give uh, it a go. Pass, yeah.
2: Give it a go we'll, anyway, we'll so, see. We'll, but if you know, if you the listeners have any ideas or thoughts about it, yeah. sure, give us a link. Put on, on the idea. Facebook page, Absolutely. definitely.
0: Yeah. And we'll whatever we whatever we produce we'll make available to everyone anyway. It's not like it's gonna be Yeah. Um definitely particular to us. But yeah, so and hopefully whatever we come up with Arthur likes as well for his game. All right, let's uh move on to closing out the show. Yeah. Or astropaths to the Choir Chamber, message yeah. incoming. Alright, so at this point we normally talk about any feedback we've received. We've had some various comments on the Facebook page, but nothing to really to, to, no sort of comments to come in here and chat about on the show. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just say if you do want to contact us to talk about the, the show or you want to um give us any feedback, many ways to do it. We have our website which is com. Not that you can actually leave feedback there now that we've shut down Speakpipe and um you know it, it was, I still get like daily registrations on that site as well, but I think most of it's just spam bots. Yeah. Um but yeah, but the best place to get this is Facebook.com/slash podcast. I think Google Plus gets shut down at the end of February or start of sometime yeah, mid March. Yeah, closing so. it down because it was garbage. Yep. So don't, don't worry about Google Plus. Um, Twitter at Grim Podcast. I'm still going to get up some sort of, I, I, I bought, I got a light booth for my birthday. That's something I didn't say about my, my last month. I turned 40 this month, you know, yeah. so, um, but my wife got me a, a light box to play off images in. So I do, I do want to get a, uh, a proper, um, Flickr or, or Flickr, that's ancient, some sort of, you know, one of, one of those, whatever those photo-sharing websites are kids are these days. Yeah, know, yeah, like, <laughs> he's going to
2: get himself a MySpace page, kids, and he's going to be hip and down with it. Well, I like, can uh,
0: tell he's hit Fulton. Uh, have you seen the Captain Marvel website yet? No. no. Uh, so, so Captain Marvel. Oh, yes, I have. It's like a Geocities reprint, you know, it's yeah. got like web rings and, yeah, because it's set in the 90s. Oh,
2: God, Geocities, that takes me back. <laughs> that's
0: right. Angel Fire, even my... <laughs> <laughs> Um, back when, back when every every website address was www.yourisp slash tilde, your username, remember that? Oh, dear. yeah. Anyway. That's, We're that's, getting old. That's it. What was the the, the the meme I saw on Facebook yesterday? It was like someone asked, one of my kids asked me, how do you actually burn a CD? How do you get the music onto the CD? And it's like there's people alive today that don't know how to burn a CD. My God, I'm old. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we wax lyrical, so uh, yeah. Twitter at Grimdart Podcast, and I will try and put some. I, I put some pictures up there recently of the painting i was doing, but I want to try and get a separate page of that as well. And of course, our email, which is show at GrimDartPodcast.com. dot yep. com. Uh, so coming up, episode one hundred and four, we've decided to go into, I guess, a controversial topic for forty k. Not that we've ever, you know, been fairly controversy in the past. Uh, female Marines. I'm just kidding. Not female marines. No. no. Primaris marines.
2: Primaris marines.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Uh we're gonna talk about um we've already discussed the origins of Primaris Marines and our sort of our gathering storm run through many, many episodes ago. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk about their role in Wrath and Glory. Um yeah, there's there's a lot of things that are quite particular to the Primaris, including their war gear, their implants, um, the law behind them, you know, and of course there's
2: the fact that they're very high tier, so it's going to affect the game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean
0: that, that that may be like the discussion topic is something about like running high tier games because certainly, I mean, a, a good example is my Scion game, which I've been running now for six years, where the there was clearly like the the in early tiers of the game, like the first sort of Scion Hero book, is well written and well balanced, but they started to extrapolate that and probably didn't do much play testing and by the time you extend those rules into the final tier of the game, it is so broken as to be unplayable. So I pretty much run without the system now in, the, in my song game. It's just a story story thing basically now. Um, and Wrath and Glory isn't like that, but there are certainly some considerations when it comes to running high-tier games. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if your gym is like, hey, I just bought this book, Wrath and Glory, and I want to run a Tier 4 game, I'd be saying, mm, maybe think about something simple first and we can do a Tier 4 game later. But we'll talk about the next episode anyway. I don't want to preempt that. So. Yeah. Thanks for joining us once again. Sorry we're going a bit slow about episodes right now. Um we're sort of doing an episode a month at the moment, which is a far cry from our, our former bi weekly shows. But um end of the day, this, this cadence is sort of easiest for us to maintain right now. As I mentioned before at the start of the show, I've just uh, I'm about to change jobs now once I leave my job next week. Yeah. Uh, it'll take some time to get around that and then uh you yeah, know, things may change and might get the chance to do some more um shows in the future. But certainly I'll we'll try and keep up at least one show a month anyway, so uh, thank you for joining us once again, Mike. Thank you for your efforts tonight. You're welcome. And we look forward to catching you next time. Thank you very much. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Gangs Workshop or Ulysses North America. One forty thousand, of Wrath and Glory, Dark Heresy, Road Trader, Deathwatch, Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, and all associated properties are trademarked and or copyright at Games Workshop Committee. Ulysses North America is a trademark of Ulysses Median and Spiel, Distribution, GmbH. All other materials are trademarks to their respective owners. All original content is copyrighted The Grim Dark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music was composed by Jens Kirstoffer and is used under license.